You're listening to a podcast by Mission Field USA, a church planting initiative of the Lutheran Church, Missouri Synod. For more information and resources, visit lcms.org slash church planting. Welcome to all our Mission Field USA listeners to the next Mission Field USA podcast. I'm Pastor Steve Shave, LCMS Director of Church Planting, and with me in the studio today is my co-host as always, uh, Reverend Dr. Mark Larson. Hello, Mark. Hello, Steve. Good to be with you. And today we have with us a special guest, uh, Pastor Stephen Heimer, who serves at Zion Lutheran Church, and we will talk more about the ministries that he's actively engaged with. But most especially, we wanted to talk today about the church and mercy, and what is the role of the church and mercy in our communities. And as we're recording this today, it's a very germane topic for us as we are now going through the coronavirus pandemic. We are in a bit of uncertainty, uh, not knowing what the ripple effect will be, especially for those uh, most vulnerable in the margins and how long this may impact uh, families in need. And how does the church respond. So we're very thankful to have you with us, Pastor Heimer. Welcome. Thank you. Very glad to be able to be on with you. Very good. We uh, talk a little bit about the church as being a corporate neighbor and doing mercy and human care work, and there might be some questions as to whether the church really has a place for this, or is this something other agencies should be focusing their attention on? Uh, And yet at the same time, we do know that we are called upon uh, by God to love our neighbor, to help those who are in need. Uh, Pastor Heimer, why would you say the church needs to be focused on mercy and human care? Well, it is uh, at the heart of the Christian faith, the Christian life, uh, that we would love one another as God has loved us. And uh, it's it's clear that that God would provide his merciful care to, to all people, uh, whether they believe in him or not, and um, that he would have everyone come to faith in him uh, through through uh, through the proclamation of the gospel, and so as as the church as believers, we look to Jesus with faith and joy, and look forward to salvation that is his to give, and we hear his commission to go and make disciples to and to love one another, and to love God with all that we are, and to love our neighbors. Very good. Can you tell us a little bit about the ministries that you're involved with there in El Paso, Texas, to help care for the people that are in need? Yeah, El Paso, Texas is right on the U.S.-Mexico border. We share a large stretch of border with Ciudad Juarez in Mexico, and we're also at the, the tip of Texas, so we're right underneath New Mexico. So it's a a, a region, a metro area, uh, international, three states, that's uh, 2.5 million people. Zion Lutheran Church is a relatively small congregation, a little less than 200 people locally that, that participate in our ministry, and um, an average of, of 80, 80 to 90 people. Uh, in addition to uh, to our congregation and all that we're doing to, to reach out and to care for our neighbors, we work very closely with uh, a, a more widely known organization, Isleta Lutheran Mission Human Care. And I uh, have been on staff until uh, just recently, been on staff with YLM, uh, providing human care. Uh, a lot of 
lot of assistance, food, and so many other services on both sides of the border. So that organization has been working for 36 years uh, in human care, but also planting churches, uh, sharing the gospel in a variety of ways. And it's really been awesome for me to be able to be part of that. And then also to become a pastor and to have a congregation that I serve. Very good. And I know that Jesus tells us that we are to uh, feed the hungry. I mean, he says, when I was hungry, you fed me. When I was naked, you clothed me. And a lot of people might still wonder, but at the church as a whole, um, aren't there, you know, in terms of institutions anyways, um, aren't there secular agencies that can assist with those kinds of things? But one of the things that I think uh, is important to remember is that no secular agency is going to get at the root of what might be the reason why some people find themselves in their situations. I know I got to serve on a task force uh, regarding the opioid crisis, and to be sure, uh, you know, this is a matter of heart and soul and body. And if we are to truly transform the heart of someone, even if it is somebody that's taking advantage uh, of the church and their charity, um, I, I don't know any, any secular agencies that transform the heart the way the gospel does in our work. And I think the gospel is always central to what we're doing. So we, we aren't just interested in giving somebody their earthly food. We want to give them the eternal food. We don't give them just earthly drink. We give them the eternal living water. Same thing with their clothing. We give them the uh, banquet uh, robe to come to the feast. And also, we're not just interested in giving them a temporary shelter, but we want them to have an eternal home. Is that kind of what you see too, Pastor Heimer? Absolutely. There, there's many uh, entities, you know, people and organizations, government agencies, that, that's their vocation to, to provide order, to provide services, to, to help in varieties of ways. Uh, but none of them have the the, the commission, the, the mandate of God to go and make disciples. You know, we have short-term needs, some that are expected and some that are, are born out of crisis. And uh, those are real, and, and there's a variety of ways to address those. But there's the eternal need that God has made clear, that Jesus made uh, of great concern to us, that, that there's the daily needs, but but we don't want to lose our souls, that we want to be with God in his kingdom forever. And, uh, and he's given that commission to the church, to God's people, to to share with, with others. So we, we really live uh, each day, we should, uh, caring for the immediate temporal needs of one another and ourselves, but also uh, taking very seriously our eternal needs that, that Jesus addresses and that he uh, created the church and sends us out to share. Very good. And as you talk about vocation, I think it's important that we do remember our vocation, especially as the church as a whole, uh, and that we do collaborate with other entities. You know, we don't reinvent the wheel. Um, we, we try to uplift whatever uh, vocations uh, others have in terms of what they can do to serve. But I do think that there comes a time where somebody does fall through the cracks and maybe somebody isn't uh, keeping with their vocation to help those folks. And when somebody is in the margin like that, um, the church does have their place to to be an advocate, uh, to be the one who will uh, be a voice and to bring assistance. Does that sound right? That's, 
Yeah, that's right. Uh, there are some areas where there's there's some real holes, and so there's people that aren't being cared for by other entities. And especially small churches are in a great position because they're a lot closer to to, to people than uh, large policymakers. Hmm. That they can identify those needs and they can they can be there quietly or you know as part of a, a part of a formal program. But there's there's a lot of also services that are helpful to our community that they the the people who run those programs they recognize that there are spiritual needs that they are prohibited from addressing you know mm-hmm. just a couple of examples uh in the state of Texas the uh, child protective services they are free and encouraged to partner with uh faith organizations with churches uh, in, in certain ways, because they know that as a governmental agency, they cannot proclaim Christ. But they know that families who are part of a church, who have uh, spiritual uh, input from from the Bible, that they, they do better. They, they care for their kids better. They recover from crisis better. And so um, as a governmental agency, they can't share the gospel. They can't uh, organize Bible studies and worship services. It's not their their purview, but they they uh, want to partner with congregations in in ways that are maintaining freedom, uh, but hoping for the connection that would lead to some families uh, exiting from the the problems that are causing uh, danger to their children or neglect to their children. Also, just this last maybe it was two Saturdays ago. We, uh, as a ministry, went into one of the local jails. We were invited by their chaplain to be part of a program that uh, is absolutely encouraged by the warden there because the warden knows, and all the people on staff at that jail, they know that when we, when the, what are they called, the, it's not inmates. It's always confusing the different facilities, the best uh, term, the offenders. So at this particular place, they're called offenders. Sure. They behave better. They get along better. There's fewer fights when they've had the Word of God, when they've had a Christian proclamation that it's overall better for their life together, uh, behind bars even, uh, when Christ's Word is proclaimed. And the the guards, the people on staff for the facility, they're not allowed to, to teach and proclaim Christ. The chaplain can, but... Uh, but there's these needs, these institutional needs in the United States to have spiritual nutrition in the life of of the community, and only the church can provide it. So we we certainly, as a congregation, as all the different congregations that are in different parts of the country, uh, we want to be in the Word in our Bible studies, large and small groups. We want, we need to be worshiping. We need to be in prayer together. All the all the normal aspects of congregational life, but we really need to call each other to the conversation with our immediate community so that we can live uh, in service in the ways that other agencies can't. Very good. And if you are asked uh, to have a seat at the table by those kinds of institutions, um, you know, that's a great encouragement. I think as church planters, that's something important to think about is, is going out and having those conversations with community leaders to find out what are some of those uh, gaps that can be filled, what are some of those ways that the church can help to improve 
the lives of those in their community, and people are interested in having that conversation with a, a new church for sure. Yeah, and you know, ultimately, we want people to come to faith in Christ. We know that whatever the the crisis we're in, uh, it'll be replaced by a new crisis eventually. Or you know, <laughs> yeah. if there's times of healing, that there'll be new times of sickness. If sure. there's times of uh, safety, that it'll be replaced with other times of uncertainty. And so we, the ultimate gift that we have is Christ, and that, that people would hear the gospel and they would come to faith. But a lot of times the people around us, they're not considering their spiritual needs to be mm-hmm. of primary importance. They, um, they're looking to take care of their bills. They're looking to work out their housing situations. They're worried about food for themselves and for their, their families. They're they're wanting jobs. They're, uh, there's all these varieties of situations, and yes, there might be other nonprofits or agencies that are trying to address those things. But as Christians, we are free to to provide food. We're free to be mentors. We're free to do all these things that people need that they're worried about in the name of Jesus. Yeah. We we're not muzzled when it comes to the gospel in most situations. And, um, and so if we can connect with people in their their perceived needs, whatever their greatest perceived need is, and be be of service to God and showing that mercy and love that is His to give, and build a relationship, then there's that opportunity to share the hope that's within us. Right. Uh, ask God to use us as masks, uh, you know, of God to serve in our Vocations, and that brings up a good point too in terms of why we, as Lutherans and new mission work, uh, always have our mercy that's anchored by the pulpit and the font. Um, it, it could be easy to look at a new city mission that has a huge community development project and you see kind of a whole resurrection and revitalization of maybe even a whole neighborhood to remember, but in the end of the you know, day, you know, remember when Jesus with his disciples and they looked at the temple and said, look at these rocks and look at how beautiful and uh, to recall the fact that all that will go away (laughs) in the day of the resurrection. There'll there'll be a new heaven and a new earth and not to, um, you know, sit back and kind of glory in what we have done because all of it uh, well, at the end of the day, what will matter is the the relationships that have been built and the folks that have been brought into the life of the church. It won't be about uh, any of those other amazing things that you might be able to accomplish, which are all good. Uh, and at the same time, uh, one of the things I wanted to talk to you a little bit about, too, though, is that you don't want it to focus so much on material things that people get a sense of uh, somehow the church or religion is about prosperity and wealth, and that's, that's what's focal to the faith. What, what do you have to say about that? Right. The, the realities of, of day-to-day life uh, can, can um, lead us into some really, I guess, dead-end perspectives on what's important in life. When, when people are navigating their day-to-day, there's physical pain, there's physical hunger and thirst for certain things, and then there's emotional longings for certain things, and that can be really uh, tainted by, by media and, and culture, and so the like, ultimate basis in God's reality, you just, 
there, there's no no security in in those things, and I see a lot of uh, despair, depression, mental illness uh, around us because people are just really wandering. One of the one of the challenges that we have as Christian families and individuals is to to, to gain a sense of what is of uh, true what, what our true needs are. And sometimes we don't get there right away, and we, we're living in our perce- perceived needs, and sometimes pulled around by them. You know, right now, with uh, uh, the possibilities of, of illness, with the, the pandemic that's just really getting started in our in our region at this time, while we're having this conversation, it's um, it's a lot to sort through as far as how do we uh, be safe and how do we care for one another in all the list of perceived needs and and real needs. Part of part of the benefit of a small church community taking taking responsibility for just this mandate that we have to love others, to be of service to one another, not just look to our own needs, is that we we have opportunities to um, to know other people and to care for other people quietly that that others just won't know that policymakers can't provide that kind of guidance. We, uh, so like in my my life here on the border, uh, it seems like there's just been a whirlwind of different situations after another. There's all the the normal uh, in a very economically depressed region, the normal needs that people might imagine, like food baskets and medicine and uh, shelter at times. And then there's the, the other needs that people often have when they when they have more money uh, in the, the variety of economic situations that people have. There's been um, uh, families that want educational opportunities for their kids. There's been... Uh, uh, also, uh, well, like one one area of service has been in the area of music classes that I've been heavily involved in, where uh, where people are struggling relationship-wise at school. People are don't have a sense of self, and there's a lot of emotional issues. And then there's you know you know gang invitations, uh, the temptation toward uh, early sexual activity, and so to be able to pull t- people together. Uh, for the sake of music classes, has led to, uh, beyond just musical skill, led to a lot of opportunity to grow and to to see people overcoming some of these social obstacles that they have and and ultimately come closer to, to Christ uh, through His Word. Very good. And I know also one of the things uh, we talk about in terms of mercy work in the church is that there there is a concern, too, when we unwittingly cause harm through our mercy work. And I know for me that became very evident. We in the inner city where I served had a, a Christmas event and I would uh, always kind of take note when it was time to give the kids their gifts. Um, the kids would run to the table and they'd be really excited that they were receiving a Christmas gift, obviously. The mom would kind of come over and she'd paint a smile on her face and you know be very thankful, but I couldn't help but recognize how many of the men would actually walk out of the gym and go into the hallway. And it really got me thinking about why, why would the dads of these families uh, leave the room? And it finally dawned on me, it's because, you know, what would that have done to me? 
if, if I couldn't provide for my own family and I had to kind of sit there and watch my child receive gifts from others, and what would that do to my dignity? And it really got me thinking about how we need to think in more enterprising ways. And that's been a major focus for us here uh, in my work in the Office of National Mission is to help congregations to think in more enterprising ways to bring people out of their circumstances rather than just some sort of transactional, you know, uh, make me feel good kind of a thing. But uh, how do I make this relational and really care about the person and the whole person? And uh, an example for me, too, is my wife uh, helps with a homeless ministry here in St. Louis Humanitary, and they have a full two-year program. And a lot of uh, the families that are facing homelessness is because of domestic violence and a mom who's never had to really have the stability and the financial wherewithal and employment and all the things that go into it. It's a full two-year committed program, but at the end of the day, their success rate is absolutely phenomenal for how transformative it is for the the head of the household. Um, what, do, what do you think in terms of how we need to be cautious that we're not actually, actually hurting people through our charity? Right. It, it can be very tempting to be one-sided in your your planning and thinking what what are we called to do how are we called to help and what do people need and just to think about the services that we can provide and want to provide and should provide without any real thought into the people who are receiving it and what their what their perspective is on on their situation and and what their perspective is on receiving help uh, to maintain the dignity of those whom we're serving is vital we're helped along you know there's a there's trial and error that teaches <laughs> teaches us a lot mm-hmm. and so it's important to get started even if you don't have all the answers to to all these important questions it's it's important to be humble and to be real uh, trusting that doing good is a good godly thing that we're saved by grace through faith is not of ourselves but that god has purposed for us to do good works yeah, Psalm 23 it helps me a lot where, you know, you say that uh, we're praying that he leads me in paths of righteousness for his name's sake, you know, for his glory. He's got plans for us to do good. So to, to, to trust in God's word concerning our calling to help others and get started is really important. But, but if you have experienced people who can lead you in conversations ahead of your first uh, effort, great. Uh, where you would be able to empathize with the community that's, that you perceive to have need. Uh, surveys and conversations with people bringing, bringing the community uh, that, that needs service or that's around you that you don't know but you want to love in Jesus' name, to, to have conversations and surveys and to, to grow in your knowledge is so important so that you can not only... Uh, provide for whatever the physical need is or the the problem that's on hand, but also to to have a tie into a to a real loving uh, relationship because god as the Bible makes clear that as believers we we don't regard any one person as better than the other that all are created in the image of God, our beloved Jesus died for all of us. And that all of us, you know, 
as ground one, we've fallen short of the glory of God. While we were dead in our trespasses, you know, Christ died for us. He gave his life for us. And so we, we want to, to treat one another with high regard. And that includes those who uh, have whatever need that, that we're addressing. If it's homelessness, if it's, you know, there's abuse situations, there's drug addictions, there's uh, just deep poverty. You know, there's sometimes mistakes or cultural problems that, that play into these things. But we want to connect with them and interact with them in, in surprising ways that reflects grace, that reflects the gospel. And so that we might be able to uh, enjoy ongoing conversation where then we can share the gospel. A lot of times people, I, in my experience, there'll be crowds of people who are looking to us for help. You know, since 2008, as part of Isleta Luther Mission, we've provided food baskets to families. It was when the that, that recession, the 2008 recession, took place. So everywhere in the United States and in Mexico, there was uh, unemployment. There was great need. That was compounded by a drug war that was just shutting down the tourist industry, and people were desperate. Mm. And so we knew that we needed to provide food, and... Um, we had never done it in such large quantities, so there was a lot of uh, guesswork involved. But to to provide the service is one thing, and to give out the food is one thing. But to be able to point people to Jesus is our our ultimate hope and joy. And so, uh, if we're going to be able to share the gospel in a meaningful way. We, we want people to know that they are honored, they are respected, they are loved, even if they're in a desperate situation. And I, I think, as you're saying, it's important for us uh, as leaders of the church to help to nurture the faith in those care providers. And as you use the word empathize, I think that is crucial. Um, I know there are a lot of times where somebody comes and they volunteer, but uh, they're, they're okay with kind of, again, the, the transaction. They're okay with handing out the the goods, but to actually sit down at the table with somebody, they're not as comfortable. And a lot of times it might be because they have kind of an us and them mentality that kind of leads into that uh, transactional relationship um, where they feel like, you know, we're we're always, and and you think about how that divides the congregation too, where there's the people that are giving, the people that are receiving, and how others might actually look at others beneath them. And I think that's kind of where the law might come into this a little bit to understand that when Jesus talks about, as you have done it to me, you've done it to the least of these, my brothers, he's referring to himself in a godly and kingly manner. And the people that we serve, we should treat them uh, as if they were royalty and see in our own eyes before God that we are all poor, miserable beggars, you know, that that we have nothing to offer to God. And in our own position before him. We, we have nothing to, to bring before him, um, you know, uh, and even our, our works being the filthy rags. And I think that's where the law comes into it. And I think, too, uh, in terms of the gospel, though, uh, for the, peop- the good folks that have such compassion and they do pour out their hearts and they do serve the least among them, um, they, they can fall into that compassion fatigue and they also need the gospel and that somehow we continue to fill up their buckets when they're so good at emptying themselves out. What, what would you say about that kind of law and gospel dynamic with caring for your care providers? 
Yeah, yeah. You know, it's I've, it's been a been a tragedy over the years to observe a few a few ways that our our congregation members, our helpers who are are in the faith, tend to tend to dry out and uh, get uh, tired and discouraged. And uh, you know, it's so important that we worship. It's mm-hmm. so important that we be in the Word and and really continue to remind uh, one another when we're in the midst of providing a a mercy service that um, ultimately this is rooted in God's love for us and for all people and ultimately has has a connection to outreach and people's uh, coming to faith through hearing the gospel so that there's uh, a larger purpose, an eternal purpose that's rolling through uh, each other's minds as they have to deal with the real challenges of logistics. You know, uh, providing any kind of service on a regular basis is complicated. There's there's resources that have to be used. There's money involved. There's facilities involved. There's schedules involved. There's uh, there's real physical, mental, and emotional fatigue that sets in. And so, to to plan for that and encourage one another to not lose sight of of, of Christ in it all. Uh, I've I've seen many uh, ministry staff and volunteers start to be so busy in preparing food baskets or distributing food baskets or working in other areas of, uh, of service that then uh, Sunday comes along and they're, they're nowhere to be seen when it comes to the worship life. I think that uh, a loving way to continue to reach out to one another, to keep each other in the word of God is vital or uh, people will drop away from the church and that's, it's not the testimony that we want to give away, that we want to give to our community. There's um, there's a lot of reasons that people will come to the church looking for help. Part of it is that they know that the, cult- the culture of the church has been and should be to love and to help one another. And they're um, hesitant about... Christianity or religion, especially if there's cultural differences, if uh, there's ethnic differences between the the community that has a particular need and our churches, there's distrust, but there is that, that need that's driving people to us. And so I think that a lot of patience and kindness is uh, needed where we're helping people without trying to coerce them into becoming members of our churches that we're offering help in the name of God because God is merciful and his steadfast love endures forever <laughs> and that we can show the goodness of God. And Jesus talks about uh, letting our good works be seen by others so that uh, they would give glory to God in, in heaven. And so there is that, that aspect of our good works. Um, sometimes people are embarrassed. You mentioned the the fathers uh, stepping out into the hallway. There's there's sometimes a great sense of shame that people have in needing help, and uh, and so we want to honor people and have a very organized system of of helping others, where uh, it's not all dependent on a volunteer to make exceptions and to uh, to call the shots as far as. Uh, people receiving things where there's 
so conflicted and then then there's room for offense mm-hmm. when another family comes and asks for the same help. It, the people who are receiving services, they appreciate it when there is a, a straightforward policy and procedure for getting things done so mm-hmm. that they don't have to, um, to fight and push and shove in order to get the help that they need. And they, they are glad to, uh, to feel like we've, we care for them enough to prevent those, those undignified <laughs> moments of, of sure. receiving charity. Um, and at the same time, you know, there, there is a reality that there, there are people that are sometimes very desperate and they're going to look for any loophole, any way to, to get more for themselves and the people that they love. And they feel like they need to, to push the limits and, uh, we don't want to embarrass them in the middle of it all. Mm-hmm. So if there's some wiggle room in the ways that we, we give help and, or at least listen to the, the needs of others, uh, we, we don't want to embarrass or, or insult anyone. In yeah. all. And I think to that end, it, uh, Something that is a natural development that I've observed over the years is that people who've received help very often, not everybody, when you're talking about hundreds or thousands of people, but there are people that want to give back by serving. They they want to, uh, whether their initial motivation is to repay for the help that they've received or if they're a believer and they're thankful to God, they want to also serve. And so there's been numerous examples here on the border where people have received food in times of desperate need, and then they've turned around and said, hey, pastor, how can I help? Mm-hmm. Is there anything, whether it's cleaning or mm-hmm. you know, there's just a variety of ways that volunteers have contributed for, with their time and their talents, and to um, allow and encourage that so that then that that person can grow in uh, in their connection to you and to the Lord. And and very often they become great partners in the planning processes and in the delivery, the leadership of these mercy ministries. Because they're of the community. They have the perspective. They know where... um, where shame can enter in or abuse of, you know, people trying to get away with uh, taking more of, of certain shares of services, uh, they, they can be a great help and asset in the giving of mercy. But then also as part of your church, it's pretty, pretty wonderful to see that outreach take place. Yeah, and I think that also leads into the topic of managing expectations and how we measure the success, if you will, of our mercy work, because there can be times where there's a bait and switch, where the people that are expecting the congregation that does mercy to have something in return, like you just talked about, new new members and people putting money in the offering plate uh, that have become new members that have turned their lives around or uh, they they expect to have certain results that, you know, when this person has served that there's going to be this very linear uptick in their life, you know, instead of understanding, no, there there's going to be ups and downs in this. It's going to be challenging. It's going to be frustrating. But if you are doing mercy, it takes uh, someone who's going to get in the muck and the mire of these lives of people who are sinful just like us. And there are going to be times... Um, that we can find ourselves very frustrated in the fact that it just doesn't seem like it's really making a difference. But ultimately, I don't know that it's ours 
to judge those things. And on the other hand, I would say um, you also have to be uh, cautious in terms of the, the good people that are engaged in doing mercy work, um, that, that you manage their expectations. Uh, I, I can give you kind of a, a goofy example from the inner city. Um, there are some very generous donors, and they came to a facility that was doing a tutoring program. And so uh, a group from the church came, and they brought the kids, and uh, they just kind of walked in and demanded, you know, we want to spend time with the kids that we've been helping to sponsor this program. And the coordinator had to say, um, I'm sorry, but we're right in the middle of a, a tutoring program. We've got very important uh, state testing that's coming up. We can't really interrupt their education. No, no, we're, we're here. We want our kids to hang out with their kids. And, you know, we're, we're big donors. And, and, we, and the person eventually just said, I'm sorry, sir, but we are not running a poverty petting zoo here. <laughs> these are children, uh, and the reason that you have made this incredible investment is because these are God's children. Um, and I think uh, we do have to be cautious in how we measure our success in that way. What, what do you think about that? Yeah, I mean, these are very real concerns because uh, everything everything needs support in order to 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 function, whether it's the people's time whether it's the the financial gifts of of donors sometimes just a few donors sometimes the, a more sustainable service requires many 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 donors and and so there's real communication that needs to take place to those who are making a ministry possible there's real gratitude that needs to be expressed and there's um I think for the people who are involved in making a service possible, there's there's a real desire to to see it up close and to to really uh, be affirmed that they've made good choices when it came to supporting one particular uh, ministry or program over another. But then there's there's the the temptation to then have a have a program that really is just sustaining itself, that it's uh, oriented to uh, pleasing donors or gaining uh, future donors or volunteers. And so the actual service that you're providing takes uh, takes a back seat. And, you know, the worst situations is when, when people in the at-risk community or, or one that's faced a, a crisis where they become oriented in playing a role, playing a part in an organization that they're very grateful to or, you know, that they love very much, the people who've been teaching them or feeding them, that they know that, hey, these donors uh, are the lifeblood for this organization. And so when they become focused on staying in poverty or staying injured or broken or to to not really uh, live out the potential that they have to, to grow and to change, uh, because they 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 know that there's donors that have needs and and you know they, they can really get stuck in a rut. We want to avoid perpetuating poverty, perpetuating certain uh, certain problems in a community. We have to be willing to uh, structure the ways that we communicate and encourage our donors. Always maintaining the dignity and, and respect for those whom we're serving. Privacy when they desire it. And at the same time, you know, encouraging those who are receiving help also to be appropriately grateful 
um, to those who are making the help possible. It, it really is hard, but we want to avoid perpetuating uh, the, the problem that we're there to solve just for the sake of our own salaries and the sake of our own uh, organizational life. We mm-hmm. have to be willing to adapt and grow and change. And hopefully we can be successful and see our communities uh, move uh, to a new chapter. Uh, Again, there's always going to be new problems. There's going to be new uh, crises that come our way. And uh, we don't want to get stuck in a rut. Very good. And I think Jesus said the poor will always be among us. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Not going to run out. Yes. Yes. And the work never ends. Something to, to also know is that the people that are involved in our ministries, as hands-on volunteers or staff members and also the the people who are are contributing financially materially they also are going to grow through the process when i was a when i was a kid growing up here uh, i saw sermon event teams come from churches throughout the united states to isleta lutheran mission and they would do work you know, sometimes is on our uh, our facilities other times it was running programs and or sharing food and other things. And I, I loved as a kid running around with them, getting to know them, develop some pen pals. But then as I matured a bit and became aware of just the huge effort that it took, I was, I was really surprised and a bit confused to learn that uh, these churches were fundraising, they're giving up vacation, they were um, doing all these, uh, going to great expense, to come and do all of this. And I, I wondered why. And um, as I started to uh, organize such events and participate in the serving and the giving, it really it had a huge impact on my life where I, I realized that that the sacrifice and the serving of caring for others is the heart of what God has done for us in Jesus Christ. And that that Jesus came to serve, not to be served. And uh, he gave his life for the ransom of many, as he explained himself. And so as as your church members are participating in mercy efforts, they're going to grapple with the gospel. And they're, and even as, even when there's problems that arise where uh, the, the plans didn't go according to plan mm-hmm. and um, It's a faith-maturing process. A lot of times people will tell me as they've come and uh, participated in these mercy projects that they get more out of it than they feel like they they give. And part of it is the witness of the community that's being served, especially those who are trusting in Christ, and that's part of their relationship with us locally, where they know that there's, there's... financial need, there's food need, and they're desperate to provide for their families, but they know Christ and they love Christ. It's, it's, a, it's a blow to our worldview in the United States when you see someone who has almost nothing of material goods uh, treating you with hospitality and with generosity and kindness, and you can uh, play soccer together. Uh, there's been countless homes that I've visited where they... Uh, their walls are made out of plywood and cardboard, and they have uh, tires holding the roof on their house. Mm. But the first thing that they do when I arrive is they, they serve me up a plate of food, and they, they pile it high, and they're just very generous and kind. Uh, the, the interactions that we have with people who have 
different material needs mm-hmm. can really open our eyes to what's ultimately important in life. Mm-hmm. And people have told me that, wow, I don't need all the things that I thought that I need. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And praise God for that. Yeah. You know, mm-hmm. And part of the, uh, I think the potential of our churches growing beyond where we're at spiritually is that as we, we spend time with others who, uh, who face different struggles than we do, and they become part of our churches and part of our Bible studies, part of our gra- uh, prayer group, part of our, our leadership network of caring for others, that, that they open our eyes to the, the centrality of Christ in what ultimately is important in our today and our forever. Very good. So uh, kind of the final topic then is that ultimately what we're talking about here is reaching the least and the lost. And I know for church planters uh, that might not be on the radar at the beginning. You're given your demographics. You're told where all the nice new neighborhoods are coming into town, where all the kids are going to school at the affluent uh, community uh, school that's nearby. And those are the kinds of things that you're thinking about and maybe not that shanty town at the edge of town. And yet, as we think about this as church planters, we remember uh, what the scriptures say about the master and the wedding banquet. And when everyone else had turned down the invitation, he sends his servants back out. He sends them into the, you know, not so great places in the alleys and the byways and in the city and the you know, mean streets, and he sends them to reach those most marginalized, those most identified with being sinful, the poor and the weak and the lame and the blind and the deaf. And we remember as church planters that God has called us to send this invitation to all people and that even the tax collectors and the prostitutes will go ahead of those uh, pillars of the church as uh, they enter into heaven. And so we need to consider how we are going to be welcoming, how we are going to draw people in, how there won't be some sort of favoritism, but uh, that we will care for all of God's people in this place in which he has sent us uh, to be church planters and to plant the seed. So, uh, Pastor Heimer, any, any final thoughts about the importance of how we are to show love to our neighbor and be welcoming and draw people in, even the least and the lost among us? I think, first of all, to, um, to know each day as we wake up, remember our baptism and rejoice that we're forgiven, we have everlasting life, to, to remember that, um, that God would use each and every one of us, not just the pastors, not just the church leaders, uh, but each and every one of us, in a unique way uh, as we interact with the people that are around us. Uh, when you, for me, having grown up in a, a very depressed, economically depressed region, uh, I, I observe other wealthier areas and I see that, wow, they are faced with unique uh, problems mm-hmm. of materially and uh, uh, emotionally and uh, spiritually that we just don't see around here. Uh, sometimes our, our wealth and our success uh, put a, a veil over our eyes concerning uh, our need for Christ. Mm-hmm. And, and so it very well could be and should be, very well could be the, the will of our Lord that it would be the, the least among us mm-hmm. materially, the, the newest to our nation, uh, 
that would end up being the evangelists of our children and our grandchildren who would ultimately uh, be the ones that are pointing us, uh, if we're from wealthier areas, to what's most vital because they haven't been so clouded in their perspective. Um, you know, the, the pandemic and the, the stock market and all these things that are a big problem right now as we speak, um, that it's a great equalizer, you know, because <laughs> yeah. sickness will will come to you whether you're wealthy or poor and um, whatever language you speak and death is is there for all of us but jesus also is there for all of us and so i'm excited to think about the ways that that god is forming his church here in the united states through Mm -hmm. all the different groups of believers that are there and all those who are are hearing the gospel so that he would be able to to lift us up out of the (laughs) the depression that seems to be so easy to to hit us throughout the united states yeah, and as you bring up the pandemic, I mean, I think that's important to to note that those who are going to be most vulnerable to whatever the ripple effects for the months to come probably are those who are already in the margins, they're already among our working poor, they're probably going to face the most af- aftermath in terms of any kind of economic distress or shortages of, of basic needs. And here we are, the church living in kind of this post-Christian era where the world kind of looks down upon us and animosity, they're skeptical of us. And I can't help but think of Joseph, uh, you know, there in Egypt. He's been maligned, betrayed, he's wrongly accused, he's left for dead, you know, and then this famine is predicted in Egypt. And then when the time came, what did he do? He opened up the storehouses to assist even the people who had abused him the worst. And he says yeah. what what they meant for evil, God uh, used it for good. And I have to wonder, for us as the church, when things are going to be at their worst, what, what will our outreach and our mercy and our witness look like to the society that is around us? And they're going to see with their own eyes that what they were trusting in was really just a foundation that was built on sand. Will yeah. the church open up their storehouses? Will they reach out to those who have most maligned and abused us uh, in this world, seeing this society, as you said, finally coming to grips with the reality of life apart from God. So, yeah, what an well, opportunity. That, that forgiveness, <laughs> yeah, forgiveness is the, the ultimate starting point for being able to connect with one another. And um, and also, you know, lack of forgiveness is one of the greatest obstacles for families being able to, to share with each other and care for each other. But, you know, also fear is always the, the biggest obstacle when it's when it comes to um, mercy work, uh, especially given toward directed towards strangers among us, people who are different than us. You know, mm-hmm. fear is always a, a great barrier. And you know, with this, with the illness that's setting in, and the need for for uh, uh, so, what do they call it, social isolation, yeah. uh, distancing, Distance. social distancing. Yeah. You know, it very well could be those, that those who have access to the best medical care might end up being the most isolated mm. where if if you don't have the ability to uh, to get uh, hospital help and other other types of services you very male very well will be uh, home at, with your your family mm-hmm. taking care of you mm. and you know when you can be together then you can uh, certainly you can wash each other clean address our our wounds and our 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 sickness but also we can 
encourage with a kind word and, and point people to Jesus. But if, if someone's isolated in a retirement home or a nursing home or in the ICU of the hospital and uh, they're not able to connect with their loved ones and, and, and hear the gospel regularly, that uh, I just I hate to think of people being in those circumstances. Mm-hmm. Depression, there's there's just so, so much affliction that comes from that. And so, you know, to... To be bold in the victory of Jesus Christ over sin, death, and the devil, especially you know when we think about these things, death, hmm. um, that, that we would be able to to be present with people who are ailing and you know take precautions, every precaution necessary and possible that we can, but mm-hmm. to to be willing to take a risk. Yeah. Um, you know, aside from you know illness, that's true of interactions with people whose culture is the gang life, and you know sometimes parents worry about, oh no, my children are going to be influenced by the time that we spend in these communities providing these services. That they're going to befriend this person, and then there's they're going to be drawn into drugs or this or that. There's worry that divides us, yeah. and so we we need to be strong in in the promises of Christ. And we need to, you know, be humble to, you know, with our kids and our loved ones and our parishioners that, hey, every single one of us is uh, is tainted with sin and Jesus has overcome that separation. Mm -hmm. Jesus has dealt with it. And so we're going to love one another, remaining connected to Christ, rejoicing in his grace, and we're going to, we're going to take one day at a time but we have to be willing to take risks so that we can shine like the light that christ is amen and uh you know nothing like a threat of world war three and pandemics to get a world thinking about their own mortality and for us (laughs) to have an opportunity to witness but uh you know likewise for all of our uh, congregations that are out there the last thing that they're thinking about maybe is starting a new mission to a new people group in a new place and why would i think about planting some new work right now when we're facing the end of the world and they have their own (laughs) fears that they're... Well, let me just remind you, when Luther was uh, asked, folks, what would you do if it was the end of the world? He said he would plant. So Luther himself (laughs) said, I would plant a tree. So, hey, don't don't let fear outweigh uh, love for your neighbor. Don't let fear outweigh uh, your witness, but instead, let's let's get to planting. There's so much mission work that we can do in this uh, fragile world that's starting to understand uh, again that the foundation that they've built upon is nothing but sand if it's not built on Christ. So let's continue to get out there and let's continue to plant. Thanks again, Mark, for being with us today. My pleasure. And thank you so much, Pastor Heimer, for being our guest and just wonderful uh, to hear about your experiences and the work that you're doing there in El Paso and uh, certainly wish you all the best and thank you so much for your time. Thank you for the invitation. God bless you all. Thanks and God bless to all of our listeners. Thanks for listening to the Mission Field USA podcast for church planting. Visit lcms.org slash church planting for other resources and information to share your ideas and to contact us. The Mission Field USA podcast is a production of the Office of National Mission of the Lutheran Church, Missouri Synod in partnership with KFUO Radio. The Lord be with you.